0: Situation in Greece? No, not at all.
1: Only just snippets here and there, but I'm not
0: actively following it. I mean, I'm skeptical because for I don't know a couple of years now we've been hearing how Greece is on the you know brink of financial disaster and their currency or not their currency, but their you know, economy is going to collapse. And I, I guess even more than it already has collapsed. I mean, Greece has never really been the yeah. hotbed of capitalism. But supposedly now it's even worse. They they I guess they owed an uh, a, a payment back to the IMF about a week ago. Didn't make it, and then they desperately need like another loan. Mm-hmm. And as a part of the conditions of of a loan, and I think it would be the loan would be either from the um what's it the European uh, the ESM or the IMF but the conditions would be that Greece has to accept some some changes like to pensioners and I think that's the main thing but probably other things as well and their president did not want to did not want to like single-handedly make that decision so they had a referendum and people voted on it and it didn't pass so they don't they didn't get the payment I mean they didn't get the loan <clears throat> So now now the question is what's going to happen? I I think if they don't do something within a a week or so, then they'll officially get kicked out of the Eurozone. And then what? Well, I don't know. I mean, they fall off into the Mediterranean and float away. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's how it works. (laughs) But it's, you know, it's affecting. I think the physical landmass is not propped up by cash. You never know, man. It could be like stockpiles of gold holding it, holding everything together, (laughs) dams of gold. (laughs) There's a title. It's it's mined out. (laughs) um but <laughs> yeah, yeah so i mean I, I obviously this affects europe more than it affects us in terms of you know economics i'm not sure how much it really bleeds into our economy although you know our we've had our stock market has been down been trending down actually it's not been a great year um aren't we still barely in positive territory for the dow and things for the year but um it's going to affect Europe though. Uh it'll be interesting to see what happens especially if they if they fall out of the euro or the euro zone. I don't know what that would do to the currency or whatever, but it's supposed to be something we're all uh you know should be extremely alarmed about. Uh on top of that, China was in the news, has been in the news because their I think it started yesterday, which would be Tuesday. Their um, their stock markets um had a, like a major fall, like 8%, I think something like that. And, you know, like investing in stocks or just even having a stock equities market is, is a new thing, relatively new thing for China. I say that, you know, 20, 25 years, something like that. But the government more recently I was reading has been incentivizing people to invest in stocks and even making guarantees and just generally running like, you know, almost like propaganda campaigns to get people to invest in the stock market. Hmm. Um, and on top of that, I guess. Probably like
1: retirement purposes, like a 401k type thing or just, you know, just
0: trying to increase investment. Just really, I think, to get their equities market going. And I mean, China's been playing such weird games with, with over, you know, have you seen these ghost cities in China? Have you heard about these? No. They're really interesting. I mean, they, they just built out an entire cities that are brand new, never got occupied. They're basically, they're just ghost cities. Oh, wow. Um, so these like planned communities that just
1: never got off the ground cities, man. Cities. It's just, it's ridiculous.
0: Wow. Um, so they, they did that. And of course they've been supposedly, you know, currency manipulators for forever now, uh, in order to uh, get uh, an advantage on, on trade, um, a monetary advantage. And, and so now this, you know, with their stock, so the stock market, you know, they've, they've, they've been promoting it and trying to get, you know, not, not only institutional investors, but just, um, You know, people, I mean, you know, in this country, in the United States, probably 70% of people are invested in stocks in some way or another, maybe even more than that. In China, it's like 10%. And I think five years ago it was, you know, three or 4%. So they're really trying to get this, you know, people involved in the stock market, but they, you know, typical China fashion, there's a lot of propaganda and government manipulation and stuff going on. But, um, their stock market, you know, like I said, fell almost 10% yesterday. And then today it was down like another five or six percent. And and you know, and on top of that, their economy's been slowing down a bunch. So um the economic headwinds are looking to be mighty strong in the world right now. Uh, our stock market's been our stock indices have been down today. Salesforce is down. Did you notice that? Have you do you ever look at Salesforce's stock? Well, the exchange is down. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so on top of that, I mean, okay, so we've got all this, you know, global economic turmoil. And well, you're,
1: you're really starting this with a, on an upper. No, right. no. This is a,
0: <laughs> this is a, uh, some drama here. Okay, so did you hear about United Airlines today? No. They just stopped, had to stop all planes because their computer supposedly went down for some number of hours or something. The Wall Street Journal's website was down for a long time today. And the New York Stock Exchange was down for most of the trading day today. So here's my question to you. Is this – could China have done all that? And just as a way to say, hey, look over there. <laughs> so that we don't pay attention to their stock crisis. Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, come on. They're totally capable of I saw the headline
1: on the Stock Exchange, and it, it, it said not a result of hacking. It was just a technical
0: glitch. And I'm sh- I don't know what the news is on United. That's what they always say, though. They're not going to admit if they got You're it. such a conspiracy theorist. Well, I just, everyone has their interests.
1: <laughs> Do you have like tinfoil hats prepared? <laughs> isn't that like, isn't that what you're supposed to envision when you hear conspiracy theorists is someone with a tinfoil hat, you know, little antennas. I get, so the government can't read their mind. Yeah, exactly.
0: Just watch out for those chemtrails. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I mean I'm in I'm in tech. I I know things happen. I know things fail. I know glitches happen. So it's not Glitch. it's not like a huge leap of the imagination that something could happen. You know, all it does, those it's not those, always
0: hacking. Those three things at that once seems to be really on the popular same right now: United Airlines, Wall Street Journal, and New York stock, stock Exchange. They're all unrelated, though. Exactly. They co- they cover a broad spectrum of you know of uh, people's attention. No, nope, not buying it. I don't know. <laughs> not buying it. Well, here's something that's for sure happening. Um, wow, well, I'm skipping way ahead. We have notes. All right, well, let's move on to something else. Uh, we have a new review on iTunes. Another great review. Yeah, and we have a couple of new likes, too. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so the the newest one was uh, David Litton. So thanks, David. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Uh, when we get them made, you will have a mug in the mail. We also found. Out who our, on that. We also found out who our yeah. yeah. John's working diligently on that. Or, well, at least he says he is. I don't know. We'll <laughs> proofs in the pudding. I mean, it's it's a harder process than you think. Yeah. I to, mean, I gave you that hundred bucks, and I assumed you were going to go. You know, that was my contribution to it. I don't know where that hundred bucks went. <laughs> I think I think I and had some beer afterwards. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> some of your fancy whiskey. Yeah. Um, we also found out who our original reviewer was. The first reviewer. Um, Stephen, I don't know if it's No or Noe, Noah, I'm not sure, but... So thanks to Stephen as well. Yeah. Two, two awesome reviews. Just uh, kind of confirms that um, people... There's a few people that kind of like what we're doing. And it's, it's good that uh, people enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, John, I'm just looking at our rundown here, and I think you have uh, neglected to put something in the list. Um... I did. Yeah, which is uh, your your news from uh, your big news, your new status. My new status. Yeah, oh, don't pretend like you don't know. What I'm talking <laughs> about. Where is it? Um, can, can we can we cover this now? Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so John found out last week that he is now a Salesforce MVP. I did. <laughs> Congratulations, man. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm
1: kind of... I've been through the emotional... Stop, uh, a little late there. Yeah, I've been through the emotional up and downs with it. I, I'm. It's still kind of sinking in. So at first,
0: it's like disbelief, right? Yeah. It, this is a joke.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get the email and I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head. I stare at it for a bit and then um,
0: I call did you, up... Did you think I was pranking you? <laughs> <laughs> I debated that sounds you like it. something I would do. Yeah. I mean, but I, I didn't. It wasn't me. Yeah. So,
1: <clears throat> yeah, it, it took a while to sink in, and then and then the announcement came out on Friday, and it just killed my productivity. By the way, I could get nothing done. I have like zero hours
0: booked it was just a loss for me even though like the next day you came in and you're just you're like on your computer are tw- you just social media with all these mvps and i know twitter all just
1: blew up you know I have all have all these people following you and i'm following them back and I'm, i've got all these questions from yeah. people coming in the, and, there
0: goes getting a lot of hours this month yeah yeah <laughs> i
1: have to work a few weekends um, or something like yeah. that for it. but yeah it was it was just and even even if it wasn't for that distraction just the emotional distraction of just kind of letting it sink in and try to wrap my head around it and i'm still trying to wrap my head around it as i start to get acclimated to the group and i'm starting to get access to different materials and and things like that so we'll see how it plays out over
0: the course of the year yeah you know so one one thing that this just reminded me of and we talked about this but we can we can recap it is the I don't know if obsession or just intense interest in the Salesforce community with statuses. Salesforce community is very status oriented, whether it's certificate, whether it's, <laughs> that was strange, whether it's um, certifications, how many certifications, what do you have? And, you know, these people's email footers take up your entire screen with their oh, logos. Yeah, with they their have certification like every logos. certification logo. You know, and, and everyone's Twitter thing says how many. How many certifications they have? Five. How many X's are you? Are you 4X? Are you 3X? Are you 5X? You know, how many X's can you get? It's like how many clouds are there now in Salesforce? You gotta, you can probably get one for every cloud, right? Yeah. Um, And then the, of course, and and, you know, the MVP thing is a little different, I think. Um, But still, you know, you've, you're getting invitations on people throwing you parties and, and, you know, congratulatory (laughs) events and things. It's like, wow. I mean, people think this is a big deal. Kind of is, I mean, it it is. It
1: is. The group is now 175. I'm one of 15 of the new. And I'm not talking about just the
0: local MVPs because that's one of the events, right? The local MVPs. But then you've got other events that are just Salesforce people that aren't you know um, just people that you know or work with or whatever. Um, It's it's. I find it interesting. It's a fun ride, man. Yeah, I have to be more social.
1: I'm being forced to be more social. I'm forced to get out of my house and interact with people.
0: Well, okay. So you've been nominated before and, you know, and, you know, didn't get elected. And the theory was, is you're just, you're not, I mean, you have, so you've, you've had a blog for a long time, which has got, which has got some good content on it, but you're not, you know, just not super active on social media. It's Um, a struggle for me. I I
1: have problems sharing every detail of my life and I don't, I don't know why that is. Maybe I'm just a really private person. Plus you tend to be busy with this thing called working. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I I don't. I don't have a lot of opportunities for a lot of. I I don't like selfies, so (laughs) you're not going to see a lot of selfies from me.
0: Right, you know, you're not obsessed with yourself like a lot of people are, and uh, and you know, so. But um, what's cool, and I'm not, you know, not that um, I'm taking any credit because I I think it's everything that you are are doing. But the thing, no, 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 I mean, it just it just happens to be something we do together. But the, the main thing that's changed since when you were nominated last time was you now do a podcast. Right. Yeah. And so I did, I, I just think like it's ex,
1: it's exposed me to more people. More people are right are finding out about us and what we do and
0: and we you know I don't know if that's what I have no idea. I just to whatever degree the podcast helps, I think that's cool. I enjoy doing it. Do you remember? Do you know what our first episode? Can I tell you how uncomfortable I feel right now. I know. Jump I'm just turning red. I'm, I'm just like, blushing. <laughs> just,
1: do you know? I'm not. I'm not good with, with this kind of thing.
0: This, but I told you. I hope you like getting attention, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time <laughs> with the attention. Do um, you remember what our episode one title was? Quiz. Uh, no, I don't. That was so long ago, and it was probably so bad. Um, do you need some? Need some? Uh... Is this is this a quiz? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. An <No>. improvity quiz? <laughs> no. Um, our the ep, our episode one title was a cacophony of MVPs. Oh, that's right. <laughs> what was that show about? I don't really remember. Um, I don't know. I think we were. I was just kind of taking the piss out of the MVPs a little bit, just because of how <laughs> it's like the social butterflies they are. And oh, I guess I don't remember what it was. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this will be interesting to see how it. Changes your perspective, and also um, see how it colors your your performance oh, so, on the podcast. So this is going to be the the uh, journalistic
1: integrity yeah, test. Exactly.
0: See see how yeah how rooted I am in my so we're gonna have honesty. to we're gonna have to have um, our our listeners hold you to test to see if this changes your.
1: <laughs> I don't think it will. I, I your openness I, I and your, your transparency. To, I just want to continue to do what we do, and that that's well, and that's you know, I don't me, think like, what we do is. is is bad or hypercritical or anything. It, it, we're just having conversations that, you know,
0: about the things that work for us and the things that don't. Okay. Yeah. So one thing that, but one thing that we've talked about that, that we try to do is to be transparent and, and honest, like, and, and even, even though, you know, we both work in the Salesforce ecosystem and this is how we make most of our money. It's our livelihood, right? We still, um we're going to be honest, right? I think that's what people, that's what people like. I mean, who wants to, we don't need another cheerleader, a Salesforce cheerleader podcast. They're, you know, we've got those already. So how about something where, you know, we talk about the good and the bad and what needs, you know, what can get better and what we're doing to get around, to work around things or creative solutions we come up with or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, now that you're an MVP, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to see how we can keep that up. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you You had a good point, you had a good point, which is, Obviously, whatever we're doing, I mean, it, it, that's what, you know, it worked, right? So why should you change anything? Right. right? That's the, that's the theory that's, I think, uh, on your side there, on your argument, that supports your argument.
1: So this yeah. is, this is our whole journalistic integrity debate, but like
0: a well, real life scientific experiment with that. I guess, except we're not journalists, so <laughs> <laughs> we're not the ones who claim to be journalists. See, that's the
1: difference. <laughs> But on a smaller scale, we 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 can at least objectively kind of view and see see how how our topics play out and everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, I sure as hell don't plan on changing anything. It'll just be you're
1: the curmudgeon of the
0: group. Exactly. I mean, the old man right, of the group.
1: Right. You're the old man breaking hips and bones.
0: Right. And like you said, there's nothing in the you know MVP agreement that you have to sign or whatever that says that you can't be critical. No. I mean,
1: well, let's 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 talk about when Shell was on and he kind of talked about the group and and. How they communicate and how they're encouraged to be honest. Right, and when he even
0: set me straight on that. I think because yeah. that's one of the questions I had was, you yeah. know, it seems like all you can do is is be a Salesforce cheerleader, and he's like, absolutely not. That's not. That's really not what. Yeah. What or that's not. That's not their mandate. I mean, obviously, you have some that are going to be more, more like that than others, but you know, he said, you know, we're, we absolutely can be. We can be critical and we can talk about what needs to be improved. And
1: yeah, and it's absolutely not a mandate. In fact, um, in the documentation I've been reading in terms of, you know, just the stuff that they provided to kind of help me kind of work, work through this. Um, there's, there's actual passages in there that says, Hey, you know, this is, this is an acknowledgement of the contributions you've made. You know, we want you to keep doing what you're doing. Obviously it worked. It got you here, you know, keep doing it. And I I think there's actually a specific line that says, you know, you don't always have to be positive. You, you can, you obviously you don't want to be hyper negative but you know if you have constructive criticisms or you have you know concerns and things like that voice them absolutely right you know they're, they're not saying don't say this or don't say that
0: right yeah just you know don't streak at salesforce <laughs>
1: <laughs> no streaking yeah ah oh, there, goes, a, no, there no, goes Monday night's no plan.
0: slandering yeah and but otherwise yeah well that's uh okay well we can leave it at that but uh yeah congratulations John no oh, thank you What's next? No bones about it. No bones about it. I was going to segue into that.
1: Okay. When I talk about how old you are, how, how are you doing? Because, so your concern as of late has been that you might have actually fractured something and that's why you haven't been healing. Bassinet. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's, that I might have a fractured hip. Um, I could go find out if I wanted to go get an MRI. I'm kind of avoiding that to see if it um, gets better. And uh, it, yeah, it's I this week has been much, I don't know if you've noticed, maybe you noticed.
1: I've noticed you've been moving a little bit more. Yeah. But I'm also concerned yeah. that you might be trying to move too much.
0: And you might be. I think my body would yourself. let me know. I mean, there's been times when I have, you know, moved too much and my body lets me know for sure. Yeah. But no, it's getting better. I mean, I can get in a car fairly normally now. And I can walk around without, you know, short distances without without any pain. So either it is fractured and it's just healing on its own because it's one of those fractures that can heal by itself or it's just was some kind of, you know, strained muscle or something extremely bruised. I don't know. But yeah, I'm better. Anyway, so what's this? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So tell me about your,
1: whatever well, this is. if you say you had a fracture, apparently now, and I'm assuming this is all just theory or hasn't been proven or even accepted to be actually done on somebody, but- there's a new technique for 3D printing, um, I guess dough, like a doughy-like material that can be
0: used to kind of patch up fractured bones. So what, I, what, 3D printing dough? I thought, I mean, I thought 3D printing was it. It made actual things out of like some kind of dough or or powder material. Like, why, why do you
1: need a 3D printer to make dough? I, I, because when you look at things from a microscopic point of view, there's this substructure that kind of supports, I mean, if you look at any kind of material, it's the substructure that kind of makes that material what it is. Maybe like a crystalline structure or something a like that? Crystalline or just okay. the way the, the fibers or anything okay. are laid out. So I think what this is actually doing oh, it's is
0: like a polymer. Right. Okay.
1: It's, it's kind of laying out things in a way that can encourage that type of structure so that whenever they do apply it, it, it has strength that has, you know, whatever it needs to be able to be
0: effective. So <laughs> should I look into this or what?
1: <laughs> I, I think you should
0: say, so you get some of that? 3D printed putty you can stick in my bones you know the <laughs> just a little patch job but the, the challenge here is even if I could make that is I, that would require me cutting my leg open and applying it <laughs> well, obviously you'd need a doctor to <laughs> okay. do this this isn't like a a self surgery <laughs> thing <Yeah. laughs> thought this is like a DIY or something
1: <laughs> hey, if you got a 3D printer at home you can you can repair your own bones hmm. Ma- right. the wave of the future maybe we'll see actually what I'm thinking is nanobots 3D printing inside your body to fix it manually there you go. There's an idea. And I lip smacked. A lot on that yeah, one. You <laughs> did. Swear yeah. jar. Yeah, exactly. That was at least three. Um, so uh early in the week or last week, Mr. Benioff uh got to meet the Pope. Oh, did he? Yeah, he posted a picture and everything on Twitter. That was pretty interesting. He gets to meet and do so many interesting things. But what overshadowed that when I saw it is is if you go to the the Pope's um, Twitter page, you know, his profile page. You know how on Twitter, you can now have these kind of long, huge picture banners. So you have your little profile picture, but you have that huge banner. It's been image. years
0: now, but yeah.
1: <laughs> of course, you're not. For, I told you I'm not. Since, since the last I, time you used Twitter, it's probably new. Yes. <laughs> I think I still have like a plain background on mine. I, do, I, do, I think I do too. So anyways, I looked at that picture and I don't know if anyone else has seen this or noticed this, but in the bottom right corner, there's some dude staring right back at the camera he's 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 got glasses on and everything, and
0: I see him creepy guy,
1: yeah, it's just like this creepy guy staring back like and I cannot look at this picture without seeing this guy staring at me,
0: yeah
1: and he's like staring through the picture at me, he knows too much, yeah, he knows something, yeah, he's just got this look and he's smirking, and so everyone else is is
0: focused on the Pope, and he's looking back at the dude with the camera, so what did Benioff have to say about his meeting with the pope? was this in europe when when uh, Benioff was in Europe, yeah.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. Um, it was like just, He just buried. kind of tweeted that it was wonderful to meet him today at the Vatican. So he was out there. I I know the Pope has been heavy on kind of championing climate change and all those kind of things. So he's, I guess he's been giving a lot of speeches and talks around that. So maybe Benioff was in some kind of mm-hmm. event centered around that. But I don't know. Yeah. I just know the tweet and that led me to dig deeper. And that's when I saw the creepy picture. Damn. And that's all I see now. <laughs> okay, well. I had nightmares. <laughs> You know, I'd, I'd go to sleep and i just see the creepy guy looking at me. I don't know. Oh,
0: well, do you read the Pope's Twitter account often? Uh, I do now. Okay. Well, then you're going to have to deal with that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so Benioff's been slamming SAP again. Slamming? Yeah. Maybe it's, it's a response
1: since SAP hasn't, hasn't been all that kind either.
0: Well, would you expect them to be kind after all the – do you remember the, um, the earnings call? Oh, are, yes. But, yeah. But yeah. that was the response as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, no. it was because it was. It's just because SAP is the next company they want to uh, overtake in terms of revenue. Well, SAP and I Oracle, right? Oracle would be after SAP. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think this is when, so again, you know, Benioff was in Europe trying to uh, drudge up some business out there. They're going to be opening, I think, a data center, uh, maybe uh, somewhere in Germany, Frankfurt, I think. And I think they were looking at, you know, of course, SAP is in Germany. They're from Germany. And uh, I, think, I think that Mark was planning on, um, you know, some kind of partnership, either a joint venture with the data center or, or something else. I'm not sure what, but um, so this says, uh, you know, <laughs> CEO Mark Benioff has turned up his trash talking game against rival software maker SAP recently, and it doesn't look like he's stopping anytime soon. Yeah, so, so yeah, so I guess uh, w- when Mark was in Germany, um, he, <laughs> I guess Benioff reached out to him and SA, the SAP CEO, his name is Bill McDermott, was just like, no, I don't want to meet with you. And uh, the quote from Benioff is, you know, we've offered an olive branch to them. So I guess after all the trash talking Mark's done, he's then he's like, ah, let's let's uh, shake hands. Uh, he says, I told Bill, I've never wanted to have a deeper relationship with them. Okay, so that sounds creepy. Uh, yes, we're competitors. We should also be partners. And then Mark says he's scared of Salesforce. Um, of course, uh, Benioff's trash talking is nothing new, considering how he. Well, oh, wait a minute. That was trash talking. No. Oh, okay. Well, because all I heard was Benioff saying reaching out and saying, "Hey, let's let's collaborate." Instead of. Well, and then SAP is like, "Yeah, we're not interested." And then that's when Mark comes and goes in with, "You know, they're they're scared of Salesforce," and. Salesforce is going to overtake them, all this stuff. I mean, that's, I guess that's typical, you know, corporate trash talking. Yeah. Um, But this says, you know, Benny's trash talking, Benny trash talking is nothing new considering how often he bashes his bigger competitors, Oracle and SAP in public. But he's really been busting SAP's chops recently. Um, Who wrote this? (laughs) It's (laughs) probably Forbes. I'm not sure. This is filled with just. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, and I don't, I didn't never count it, but. On that earnings call, they mentioned SAP fourteen times. Uh, but just to refresh everyone's memory, SAP go past uh, SAP, uh, SAP, and SAP, going after SAP and past. There are the only innovation SAP has is in rhetoric. They should try writing some software. Love that. While Oracle and SAP Service Cloud displaced SAP in the quarter. Sorry about that, SAP. Sorry, legacy about that. technology from Oracle. You know, if you were paying attention to SAP's an SAP customer. She hopes to see an SAP implementation. See, I that should, was trash talking. I should try building some software. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about mm-hmm. that, SAP. So I think, I think Margot's feelings hurt a little bit that they didn't want to meet with him. It's like, can you be surprised? I wonder what I, I, I'm curious, just, though, what, what Benioff was going to propose. That would, that would I, have been interesting. I see it all as faux drama. I, I mean, oh, of course it is. They
1: it's, all get on the golf
0: course and rub elbows and bite for the drink and it's have, just have fun positioning and propositioning for yeah. you know. and to the investor community and whatever, and these CEOs—they're like they're like little boys, and certain you know pissing contests or these whatever. CEOs. Right? These, like little, yeah, these CEOs, these. right? Just
1: they all do this. So you're saying that's why we need more women CEOs because the boys well, are. Well, I should say like it's children. not all of them.
0: Do you ever hear of Microsoft CEO? Doing this, talking trash? He doesn't talk trash. No. Speaking of Microsoft, they are cutting jobs again. I heard. It was like a year ago. It was 18,000 jobs. Now it's uh, another almost 8,000. Again, but, related to the Nokia acquisition. Right.
1: Yeah, the, the news on that has been kind of doom and gloom. I mean, there there's a lot of people just kind of, I don't know what the right word to say is, but they're just, what, what is the right word? I don't know. Like, not fantasizing, but theorizing or whatever the word is for that but you know they're trying to read between the lines and trying to say you know is is this the end for the mobile phone for for app for microsoft are they going to try to stick strictly to software and build a business around that but i don't think so i think i think they understand where they went wrong and how nokia is not working for them and i think they're they're basically going to do a reset and they're going to they're going to start from ground up and start to build a true mobile platform that they can be
0: proud of i totally agree and and just when you look at you know, I've been saying for 10 years now, I've, I've seen people working Microsoft from the inside, yeah. trying to change the culture there. Unfortunately, it was during that, almost that whole time, it was when Ballmer was the CEO. And while there was some progress at, an, at a, you know, higher level organization and as a company, they were just stuck in their old ways, stuck, you know, dedicated to their old cash cows, looking, kind of looking backwards and, and not looking forwards. Um, but that's all changed with a new CEO, and when you look at the progress they've made um, with Azure and Office 365 and um, with what apparently they're going to be able to accomplish um, in terms of uh, their cloud-based revenue, um, I think it was 2018 that most analysts believe they will surpass $20 billion in cloud revenue. So That's two and a half years to reach $20 billion. And I don't doubt it at all. Um, and I don't doubt that they can make good phones. I even, I mean, I liked what I saw from or some of the innovations that the what was it Windows Phone mobile phone mobile edition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's the exact name for it. <laughs> um, that had some really nice aspects to it. Yeah. Um, that, you know they never got. I don't think maybe the I don't think the hardware was ever good enough. Possibly. Um, they never had enough third-party support, or in the you know applications and things in the in the ecosystem. But uh, the the phone was interesting, and or the OS was interesting, and I I have no doubt that they'll come back with a with a strong phone OS. I don't think they're going to give it up. You hearing something? Yeah, I'm hearing something. So Salesforce. No, uh, wait a minute. We didn't finish that topic. Okay. What else did you have to say? Well, what did you? I just I just I totally agree with you. They're the they're going to come back with phone strong. It's it's just too that it it's represents too big and growing up a piece of computing. Computing is going to be 80% phones. Yeah, it is. So,
1: yeah, they they cannot n- not have a presence there. And, and Agreed. You know, they they're starting to open up stores. You know, we have a new store here in town actually. Uh I haven't been to it yet, but I mean, they're they're definitely not not following, but you know they're learning a lot from from what Apple did. I think, and I I think they're kind of in that trajectory. I mean, they're they're learning the type of stores they need to have and the type of things they need to have there. Um, they learned a lot. From, they, previously, they
0: had a lot of kiosks and things like that. Well, they're <clears throat> when they started this store thing. When was that? About a year ago. Mm-hmm. They're they looked. I don't want to say identical, but highly influenced by Apple stores, right?
1: Yeah but th- it's not the first time they've had stores. I mean, they've they've no, had they f- stores in the past and failed miserably. Yeah. yeah. So, it's interesting that they're trying this again, but I I'm, I'm thinking that they've they've got a plan and they've got an idea. And I think, you know, software doesn't really need a store, but hardware does. So the fact that they're
0: they have these stores and they're coming out tells me that they really want to focus on hardware as well. Could be. And, and I'm, I'm not sure I agree with the software doesn't need stores. I mean, I think one of the things that People like about Apple is they can you can walk into the store, talk to a genius about hardware, software, whatever it is. I mean, you could have a you help setting some software up or configuring something, and they'll they'll sit down with you and help you through it. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, I think people really like that. So, I yeah, I don't um I don't underestimate Microsoft. Do so at your peril. Um okay so this is interesting Salesforce um I guess as a part of their social.com which I'm guessing was like radian 6 maybe buddy as well I don't know this not even sure if that's part of the marketing cloud or if that's is the social cloud or own thing I think it is mm-hmm. social cloud that's one of the 6 clouds or is it 7 <laughs> I don't really know um let me see if I can find this yeah so they because they run, they help companies run, I don't know, I don't know if you call them campaigns, but monitor social media. Mm-hmm. Actually, they do have, you can, you can actually run ads through, 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 I guess, social.com. You can, you can run ads on like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and these social sites. And so Salesforce has all this data about ads and click through rates and CPM costs and all these sorts of things. And they, I guess quarterly maybe, um, because this was the Q1 2015 advertising benchmark that Salesforce releases now. It's a PDF. You can, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, But they, basically, it's it's fairly high level, but they just tell you what the trends are. Um, So they were pretty interesting. Um, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn together saw a 49% increase in ad revenue in the past year. So that goes to show you how, yeah they're monetizing and <clears throat> and that's a valuable space to be in, and that's a place for a lot of brands, I think that's a place you have to be. You have to be advertising there. Um, also that the so um I guess all the revenues reflect mobile's surge over the past year with people now spending more minutes daily on mobile devices than watching TV. So that tipping point has been passed. Which I find interesting. That uh, does that jive with your daily life and what you see from your family? More time on mobile, or maybe I don't know if you. I don't think you really count iPad in that. But
1: well, I mean, they're they're spending more time on mobile. But my family's not at a point where they're highly social. They're they're just using their apps on their devices. That's so. true. Right. Yeah. But I, I, as they get older, I can see that being being a factor
0: there's so something that was kind of new to me just because I, I don't get into the space mobile app and the, I got a little quiz for you here mobile app install campaigns first of all what does that mean to you what is a mobile app install campaign I'm
1: assuming some kind of campaign that that asks you to install something yes. like says here here this app exists that's right go download it
0: and you know when you go to a like a website and it's got the little slide down. If you're on your phone, Mm -hmm. it'll slide down and say, Hey, install our app, you know, all those things. Right. So apparently, you know, people run I mean, Those are, I didn't think about it this way, but those are full on marketing campaigns to get you to install apps. Um, and the, so they can, they, they track cost per install. So after, you know, with all this ad money you're spending and you, if you divide that by how many people actually install the app, you know, what's the typical cost per install? Um, what would you think the an average cost per install would be?
1: Cost per install, so yeah. that what the campaign is costing, right? After right. they kind mm-hmm. of
0: factor in, exactly. Almost well, like a response rate, I guess, but in, in percentage. No, just in if you if you take the the cost of the campaign divided by how many installs, you know, were converted out of it.
1: Oh man, I have no idea what to yeah. throw out. Hundred thousand.
0: Thousand dollars per install. Wow. <laughs> no, not per install. Just total. Oh uh, no, it's per install. Oh, per install. Uh, I don't know, fifty cents. Okay. That's actually in the ballpark. It ranges from in Brazil one dollar up to New Zealand six dollars. Mm. I'm good at this. This is, a, this is a whole world that I know <laughs> nothing about, but I find it fascinating. I and mean, it's just interesting to me because I, you know, marketing is always interesting. So numbers based. Um, here's what else is interesting engagement rates for Twitter are falling uh, So, Twitter, the promoted tweets um, engagement fell 12% and that's on top of like all this news that's com- been coming out of Twitter you know they're struggling as a company their stock price has been struggling and everything because I guess year over year they're just they're having trouble figuring out how to monetize and and Twitter like, they they brag about all the accounts they have but Twitter is the place where by and large people go and set up an account look, and they look at it and go huh? And never come back.
1: Well, maybe for the older generation, I think the younger generation uses it, but the younger generation also has things like Instagram and and all those other t- services um, because they're, I want to say they're highly visual and I, it, they're, they're you know, it's very photo driven type technologies that
0: they're moving to. I, I'm not sure you're right about the generation thing either because I feel like our generation is more into Twitter than the younger generation is. They're into. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, right? Twitter well, is not mean. as much of a thing.
1: That's what I mean for the younger generation. They're they're into all those other things. I, I think our generation. I think we're we're on Twitter and we use Twitter, <clears throat> but. You know, uh, uh, like let's take myself for an instance. I'm not an oversharer. I don't I don't go there and share every detail of my life. So, <laughs> you know, it it's hard for me to rank up there and or trend or anything like that because I'm I'm just not that type of person. And I think the people that are. You know, when you talk about engagement, they're on those other services um, because it
0: provides something a little more specific. yeah so here's the most alarming thing. Um, LinkedIn has something called sponsored updates, which are in feed native ads are now forty percent of their total ad revenue because these native ads these are these are uh, not good things. They are meant to look kind of like content. they're not you know called out as ads. That's what they're called native ads. Facebook has the same thing. Do they? Yeah. When you're strolling through your
1: timeline, you'll see them. I mean, it almost looks like a post that someone did. And then it, you'll kind of, once you read it more, look at it a little closer, you'll see that it's an ad basically. I think that's just, I don't, I don't mind that. I think I, I, I don't mind the inline content because it, it's part of the natural flow of what I'm looking at. What I hate, and this is big on just websites in general, um, is the advertising that takes over your screen the advertising that like puts itself in your face and doesn't let you click on anything else until ten seconds later after you're forced to watch this? I think I prefer a- advertising isn't horrible it's not bad it's necessary you know we all f- discover a lot of great things through it um but I want it to, if I'm looking at something and there's content there i I prefer it to be part of the content part of the flow not distracting, yeah. not forced upon me, you know, don't, don't do autoplay videos, you know, those kind of things. It, right. it has
0: etiquette. Right. So to speak. Well, again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting, I didn't give a good description of native advertising, but you know, a better example is say a, a morning news show and they're talking, they talk about some product and it's never a commercial. They never say it's a commercial, but they got paid to do that. It's almost integrated with the content of the show. The, and the advertising is is native to the content. Right. I'm fine with that. I'm not because it's you don't know. It's not clear what's an ad and what's not. So you'd prefer something specifically that says, "Hey, this is an advertisement for." When I'm watching the news, I want to know what if they're if they're enter a segment in which they're being paid to say something by you know by a sponsor. How if, does that change your? Because I don't know whether the reporting what they feel is the truth or not to me, or if they're getting paid to say something. Mm. I guess I can see that.
1: Yeah. I, but in the format of casual talk show, morning shows, or things like that. I mean, well, maybe we, that
0: wasn't a great example then. Yeah. I, mean,
1: I mean, if, if it's like the, the the anchor of the news show that's, that's sitting there telling the news and then all of a sudden switches to a story that's purely advertising, I, I guess I see that. Yeah. But I mean, in, in the course of our 24-hour entertainment cycle that we all live and die by, of, I, I think I would prefer less interruptions And just more, you know, if it is advertising, something that's, that flows well, that's consistent, that's, you know, polished, professional, and doesn't, doesn't take away from, from my
0: enjoyment. Doesn't cause my CPU fan to spin up to (laughs) 4,000 RPM. Yeah. All right, let's move on, because we got a bunch of other stuff to, do you want to talk about your Salesforce package quandary, your dilemma? Yeah, this is just a dilemma, and I'm not sure if there's
1: a solution to it yet, because I'm, this is something I just came across. And this was just, we, we, I'm working with a, cl- with a client. We had this idea to kind of modulize our package a little bit. And this is, this is purely the initial phases of what might be a managed package. So we're doing everything unmanaged and we're testing it out with clients and, and seeing how this process, this functionality, this automation works. And in doing
0: so, we have... So you started out with no package, right? You, you developed, you know, you've got, you know, code and metadata and all kinds of stuff, right? And you're, right. And you're like, maybe maybe we should package this somehow.
1: Right. Okay. And so we just we centered on three different packages. uh, One being kind of the main package that if you're going to use anything any of the features that we've developed, this is the one you're going to have to start with. A a base package. A base package. Okay. Um, And then we have these other two packages, um, each representing different areas. And mainly we split them up because one of them requires
0: um, a certain feature to be enabled. And we're talking about app exchange packages, and they may be private, right? But Right. These well, these aren't going to intended to be
1: listed or anything just yet. These but just, are just, just to
0: be clear, because the word package is a generic word, can mean all sorts of things. We're talking about app exchange, right. Private app exchange packages right. that you can use to install in any of your various private orgs. Right. Okay.
1: And so the, the issue we broke them up and and we created the packages just fine. Um, but when we went to upload them, we had an issue, and one of the issues was even though my classes have a dependency to that base
0: class, mm-hmm. it
1: recognized that and it loaded all the classes or at least identified them.
0: It sucked them into, it sucked them in, right? into your dependent package. Right.
1: Okay. And it, it's aware of them, but it knows that, they're, that if they exist, it doesn't have to create them. So whenever you upload that, it works fine. However, it required the unit test classes for those to be manually added. And so what that meant is that I was explicitly saying this had to be in the package, mm-hmm. or these these have to be installed
0: along with this package. And, and that's because you had to do that manually, because none of your production code depended on your test classes. It's, it's the other way around, so you'd have to right. manually add your test classes into right. your package. And that was just to get it to upload, to basically create the package. Okay.
1: Um, I mean, because you... With packages, you have multiple steps. You define all the components of your package, and then you upload it, which actually creates the package and gives you a link to actually start installing those. Um, a, and
0: this is a very, again, kind of UI thing. This is not, you know, it's no uh, automation for this, right? Right, yeah. This is all point-and-click and everything. lot clickety, of clickety-clickety dragging and clicking and adding more things. And and then, you know, you've got that drop massive drop-down of all the metadata oh, types, right? And then And then you're scrolling through... A terrible UI to try to find the class you're looking for, or whatever. Yeah, and manually building this package, Salesforce, please fix this.
1: It, it's not a big issue when you're, if you have a small code set, um, but you know, when when once you start getting pretty big and
0: you're trying to manage and all imagine these you're things. you know ma- imagine you're you're managing Ford's org or something or some you know Fortune 500 <laughs> company, right? Yeah, yeah, it gets tough to try to,
1: and that's just, it's actually the same type of interface that you get with chain sets. It's that same kind of, you know, clicking the drop-down, find yeah. the top-level component, and then you're scrolling this massive list of all this stuff. Right. So you'll feel our pain when it comes to managed packages if you've
0: used chain sets and you felt that pain. This is why one reason why I avoid chain sets and packages. It's because I don't want a bunch of manual, clickety-clackety UI stuff. I want it to be automated, in version control. You like your command-line tools. You like your automation. I don't even be. I mean, necessarily
1: command line. Although that's great, but you still owe us a. Not to get off topic, but you still owe us a continuous development segment. Yes,
0: I'll we'll do that. I, and I've got. I will. I'll talk about my new project here in a minute, which will. All right. Well, so back to this issue.
1: So I had to manually include those test classes because when I uploaded, it, it runs all the tests, and those test classes weren't in there because there wasn't a dependency on them. The only dependency was the actual classes that it auto included. Man, this is getting hard so to. So you forgot you <laughs> forgot to add your test classes, right? No, no, this is the sub project. It, it only has a dependency Sub-fronted. back to the to classes from the base class. Okay. Which Salesforce auto included, right? Um, however, it doesn't auto include the test classes for you, so sure. I had to manually add those in so the coverage would would you know okay be up to par. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, whenever we deployed that package. The base class is already in the org. You deploy this other package and it thinks it has to install those test classes. And so it sees the conflict. It sees that there's already classes there and it fails the deployment because
0: there's a conflict. It, it won't let you override. Yeah. You won't have a class there by the same right. name, right? It won't well then. This gets back to again, there's no namespacing in this, any of this code. So you you have one namespace. But even even if there was, a I'm saying I'm saying no namespaces compound compounds that that problem a lot of times, you know. Yeah, I, I mean you, you can have you can have one class in your entire org called tuple, right? Or right. iterator or something, right? It just
1: for, for me in this particular inst- instance, I, I don't think namespaces will help. I think the issue is just no, that that right. I either need a way to just say overwrite this or to say that this is you know only install this if it's not already there. Type of flag right in the package right. to be
0: able to define that. Well, and and also if your if your sub package was in its own namespace, you wouldn't have this problem. True, but it would still have a dependency back,
1: and and that dependency is what's what's causing the issue because then I have to include the unit tests and doing so active you know basically says this class is part of my package, not this is a dependency that right. if it's not there, go ahead and install it
0: because all that those packages have is simply a an, an, a class name to identify it. Right. If there were if there were namespaces with like strong names or something, then you could you could uniquely identify and, and the packaging mechanism would, would be able to say, "Oh, hey, that's the, you know, that's in the com dot blah 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 package with the right. same exact class name." So we know we can't override. It. In this case, it just has to assume it's it's just the same class name. There's nothing else to uniquely right. identify. I, I see a what class. you're saying,
1: because to Salesforce it sees the name. It doesn't know whether that name was part of your package or if that was someone else's package. And if you override it, you're overriding exactly. someone else's
0: code. I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure, you know, iterator.cls is a really common right. You know, or parser.cls. You know, how many people have a parser.cls in their package? Yeah. It'll be thousands, right? So Did they all look the same though to the platform.
1: Yeah, given the limitations and Salesforce's rejection is valid because you don't want you don't want that to happen. You know.
0: And you don't have the you don't have the option just to say override anything that's
1: already there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see where namespace is going to help now with that. But um, either way the package I think for that to work for us we either need some way to say you know, hey this you know, include this or not type flag or anything like that or just be able to have some more granular control over what gets pushed in. I think to solve this problem we're actually going to a create one big package that has everything in it for for those that can use all of it, and then I'll probably start to remove the dependencies because it, it's really a small dependency. Was, the dependencies I created were more for code reuse than anything. Um, Very valid reason. <laughs> I'm <not> like that's. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Don't I, like I messed up here because I'm yeah. like I'm trying to reuse code, yeah. but now, now I'm now just gonna have to copy those functions that I'm using into those perspective copy and classes. Paste, copy and paste coding. Copy and paste, and, and that'll that'll at least solve my issue because the the solution is. Simple
0: enough, at least modular enough that I can do that. You know what? Sad thing is, probably ninety-five percent of Salesforce developers—they're doing the same thing: copy and paste coding.
1: Yeah, I mean, we all do what we have to do. Well, and so what?
0: I think the conclusion that you and I, and we, because we talked about this briefly earlier, which is, unmanaged packages are such a weak tool, a weak mechanism to do what you're trying to do. Yeah. If you had managed packages, if you're using managed packages, those. You can actually declare that one package has a dependency on another one, which I don't think you can do with managed packages. I'm sorry with unmanaged, right? right? Yes, yeah, so with managed you can say before you before you can install you know my package b into an org, package a has to already be there and then I think that also um prevent Salesforce from requiring or it, it, they no longer require that your package B contains items that package A has that you depend, that package B depends on. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, okay. We see that you're, cl- we see that you're declaring that dependency on package A. So we're not going to make you put all those classes for package A into your package B. The other thing is packages are again, because, because AppExchange managed packages get a namespace it and they're, it's a guaranteed unique namespace. Mm-hmm. It is you do have strong naming. So they know that your parser.cls and your managed package is completely unique and is treated as unique than anyone else's parser.cls. Yeah.
1: And this this so, could just so, be an issue because we're so early in the phase of of developing these packages and these solutions that we're just not ready to go to that managed level yet.
0: I've tried I've tried all these things in the past and I end up just, you know, not other than for actual published app exchange things, I just don't do the packages. It's because you can get into managed packages, but then those those have so many disadvantages in terms of, you know, being able to change the package, right? It just, well, we're it's, starting to
1: see some things coming down. I mean, we talked about some of those in the release notes that were happening,
0: being able to do, you know, like deletes and all these new functionalities, features that we're getting. So it, it's getting better. It's just real cumbersome and still heavy-handed. They have made it better. I mean, you can deprecate things and then eventually mm-hmm. delete them somehow, but it's it's just, again... It's a fully a UI thing to do all these. It's a bunch of manual stuff and it's cumbersome and it's just, it's just cumbersome. Yeah. And so if you don't have to have a managed package, if you don't have to have a package, if this is for private stuff, my suggestion is, is just to not use packages managed or unmanaged. But you're going to try managed? Eventually. We'll
1: okay. move. We're, yeah. we're going to start with just a, one single package since since all of the, I guess, pilots do you have all the features we need we'll yeah. just create that one install it and then as we get the feedback and all that kind of stuff then we'll probably start moving into managed yeah. you have to report
0: back on how that works out for you can you do that okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i did that i don't either <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: i gotta rant man every every once in a while i just need i just you need you can't
0: rant with that i just d- need grin something. on your face john that's not a that's not a qualified rant face i need therapy <laughs> Okay, maybe, uh, maybe not I, a rant. I've been telling you that therapy. for years. Any <laughs> <I need> therapy. <laughs> Come sit on my couch, Sean. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Your nap couch. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty much what it is. By the way, you snore. Yeah, I know. My <laughs> wife tells me.
1: Uh. No, I, I have had, I don't know why, but lately I've had to fill out a lot of web forms. And so I've started developing this, this kind of list in my head of things that bother me about web forms. And I, I'm, I'm sure everyone, has their list Not, you might even have a few but I'll just name a few that have bothered me over the years or even just recently one of them is when you have a form and they have no labels all the labels are in the text box itself yeah, that's the cool so that's the cool way to do it now John yeah but when it clicks in I, I instantly forget what that field was for so I had to click out of it to remember what the label was yeah I know. I have a short extension span. Sometimes I get distracted and I come back to a form and go, uh, what what was I supposed to write in that field again? You have the worst short-term memory known to man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't, I, I, you know that feature where you can have the text actually inside the text box? I forgot what that's the called. The text in the text box? Yeah. That's what, that's what I mean by oh, there's yeah. no labels. Like yeah. you click into, there, it's actually, well, even the Salesforce search feature does
0: that. In the setup, it, it says, you know, enter an object name or by something. By the way, that is the worst implementation of that ever. Do you know why? Because if you start typing in there before their JavaScript oh, finishes loading, it
1: craps itself. Yeah, it happens to me all the time. Me I start too. typing and it tries to search for enter your <laughs> thing, dot, dot,
0: dot, and then whatever I typed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm anyways, not sure if that's because they're having to support like IE6 or however, whatever. However, the way
1: they use it is is valid because they're they're giving you instructions. It's not, there's still a label that says search. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I've seen on these web forms fail is that they're using that for the actual label rather than having a label input and then instructions on what should be in there, like an example or, you know, type in your name, example, yeah. John Smith, you know, it's being used to actually have the labels. Yeah. So once you click in there, you lose track of what you're entering. So it's a peeve of mine. All right. Um, the other one is not clearly identifying what's required. you see this form, you might see an asterisk, you might not, you might see total reliance on color or or some other mechanism, but it's not clear that that's required until actually until you click save. Mm. Uh, yeah, that happens rarely. I think more, more more developers understand being clear about what's required and what's not. Um, but it still bugs me that I, I run into a few that do not. <clears throat> uh, the other thing that bugs me is double input of information. Like, I can understand passwords. You know, double input your password to confirm it. But things like email address or, or anything else. Username or whatever you, you happen to pick, it just seems so redundant and just so
0: painful to have to do that. Yeah, I mean email address you kind of you kind of have to in a way because if not if they if they fat finger their email address they can you probably are never going to have a good email address for them.
1: But here's what happens, and here's why I think it's bad because it's not a password. It it ha- it's part of the autofill of your of yeah, your browser. Yeah, I know. So whenever you start typing, you'll see it pop up, and you'll you'll click your autofill.
0: And but, you've misspelled it twice. But there are... It did nothing to validate that. There are... Uh, you can put some kind of... I don't know what they have off the top of my head, but attributes on the input elements to prevent autofill. Right. Well, it doesn't People don't, people don't use them correctly, <laughs> but they're there.
1: Uh, I prefer, in, t- in terms of ju- validating something critical like that, like an email, I prefer getting an email confirmation email. You know, saying, hey, we sent you a confirmation. Let us know before
0: we activate your account. You're not going to get that email. And you probably won't know that you were supposed to even get an email unless you no, had to confirm.
1: No, what the way these work, to, the way that I've seen them work work well, mm-hmm. is you click on it, it, it says saved, and this is the screen, the same form that you're doing input on. It'll, it'll usually tell you, we sent an email confirmation, you know, click continue. It'll have your username information, all that kind of stuff. So you need it to be able to log back in. If it goes nowhere, then it went nowhere. You, you need what to log back in? you'll need to confirm your email to actually start using your account. Yeah. But that,
0: that, that could be a bigger ran item too, though.
1: It could. I just prefer that over having to double into email and the false yeah. sense of security that that gives you. Um, the other one, this one bugs me a lot. Phone number inputs. So a lot of times you're entering a phone number and the form itself will be heavily masked. It expects you to type in only numbers, not characters. Or they expect a certain type of format, like they'll want you to put one... And then your number. Yeah. Um, I use a lot of autofill, not only from 1Password for just things, but also just sometimes my normal autofill. Mm -hmm. And that bypasses their JavaScript that they use to validate that. So what ends up happening is my form gets broken and there's all these errors. Or sometimes I've seen it actually go through and cause like this system error because they weren't expecting you to do that. Right
0: you know it's related to that what's super annoying is when they have separate fields for the area code and the other parts of the phone number oh yeah and when you as soon as you type like three numbers it auto tabs you to the next and so i've then now i've double tabbed right cuz i didn't realize this was going to auto like, it's like really you have to tab for me am i that much of a or know? with autofill
1: what i've seen with some of those do is it'll type in the first three and the other would be blank. It won't even let, you won't even continue though.
0: You can't get back, you can't get back to them. Yeah. You can't get in and edit it because it thinks you're done. You're in this mode. What you, what you do is you'll tab back into that first area code or whatever and it immediately, because there's already three numbers there, let's like say you, instead of typing 214, you type 213 and you're showing you're trying to go back in that field. But as soon as you focus back into that field, it's, it triggers their code to say, Oh, you've already typed in three numbers. I'm going to tab you to the next field. And you can actually said, so as soon as you focus into that first field, it immediately then tabs you back to the next one. You can not fix your phone number. Yeah. So <laughs> I've got the worst one. Well, you have another one here. Multi page forms. Oh, yeah. The forms that
1: we don't, we don't need them anymore. We don't well, need multi page sign up forms. We don't need multi page shopping cart forms anymore. Just give us one page. And the worst is when they don't tell you how many pages there are. I they, know. They don't, you're they don't, you're <laughs> stuck in this loop of just keep next page, next page. And then they start to market
0: to you. and Answer these questions. Oh, can I just finish this? So you mentioned 1Password. I use 1Password too. So anytime I generate a password, I use 1Password. And it generates a gnarly password with all kinds of characters and weird things. And It's totally awesome. Right. Um, and so, you know, a typical web form, they'll, they'll say, you know, you enter your password. You know, create a password. You know, it must be between 8 and... 40 characters or something, right? And it must contain a number, right? right? So you use one password to generate it and you save and it says, uh, you didn't didn't create the the right kind of password. And you look at it and you're like, no, I did. (laughs) And the problem here is there's a difference between what they've implemented for their password verifier and what they've actually told you what it does on the screen. So now you have to go figure out Okay, is one of these symbols illegal? So now you're taking out, you're taking out symbols one by one to figure out if, if one of those symbols is, is you know tripping it up or what it is. That's annoying.
1: <laughs> that is very annoying. Yeah.
0: And so I don't feel
1: alone out there in the world. What's your biggest pet peeve? You, the audience listening, what's your biggest pet peeve on web forms? Mm. Let's see if we can bring attention to it and get people to stop doing those things. Yeah,
0: good luck with that. <laughs> Call it web form etiquette. I'm sure there's some movement out there, but there's just uh, way too many clueless people, man. Um, so I'm starting a new project, and there's a lot of front end to it. Um, a lot of web forms. Yeah, there's. You're gonna you uh, make sure to. There are a lot of forms actually. Um, it's it's a Salesforce related project. There's a communities aspect. There's mobile stuff. There's desktop stuff. It's going to be pretty complicated. There's going to be a lot of JavaScript. It's going to be big. There's going to be, you know, different modules to it. So, you know, I'm setting up um, kind of the structure I want for this. And I've decided, you know, I want the ability to, to use SAS and CoffeeScript. Um, and I want to be able to, you know, basically have a nice kind of automated process that, you know, anytime I'm ready to, to deploy something or, or compile or even just view what I've been working on, I just, you know click a button or whatever and it it you know compiles my sas into css and my CoffeeScript into javascript and um copies you know images and and basically builds a, a like a single static resource right bundle or is that what they're called static resource right yeah yeah and that blows out the salesforce so you know i'm I'm basically started with a, a previous project I worked on because that that was working pretty well so I'm using a um or at least so far, if if this ends up working out for me, I'm going to use Grunt to to automate a lot of that. To not, autom- automate the creation of the zip and resource file and publish yeah, that. just the 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 compiling, the concatenation, testing, linting, all you know, just kind of that whole ball of wax, right? Um, and so I don't know. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what things you've done in the past, but but also, you know, it reminds me. I'm almost having like. You know, flashback to this previous project, the the process in Salesforce development of let's say making um you make a change your your one of your CSS files or you're uh, you're using SASS SAS file mm-hmm. between making that change and being able to see the result in your browser, and and as you know you know if you're because you do a good, good amount of front end work, you know when you're when you're you know working on styling or whatever you're just you're constantly doing quick little tweaks and, and revisions to get the style wait, the way you want the, some kind of spacing or mm-hmm. tweaking colors or something. Who knows borders? And, you know, you're just constantly making these little changes. You want a really quick feedback loop, right? And so in typical web development, whether it's, you know, Rails or you're using something like um, Compass or CodeKit, these things that uh, CodeKit's really cool. It's I think it's only for Mac, but it's one of these things that, you know, you basically just point it to your your source directory and it finds all it finds all these things, the types of things you have. And when when you anytime you make a change to those things, it actually live reloads your browser. You don't even have to r- reload your browser; it's like live reloading your browser, right? And so there's virtually zero lag time between when you're making a change and the result you can see it, right? Well, in the Salesforce world, you're looking at you know easily thirty seconds, especially if you've got a, a decent sized project and you know you've got an upload time for the static resource and right and which which
1: funny enough is. It's actually quicker to point and click, upload your file that's already zipped up than it is to deploy the re- the, the static resource.
0: Point and click, upload.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, go into the UI, point and click, upload the file to to include the resource than it is to run a metadata API command, basically, to yeah, upload why that is it, resource. Why is it
0: faster to, through the browser? I don't know. Why is it faster to even edit an Apex class? You can edit an Apex class through the through the browser UI and hit save and it's done. I know, but the metadata API that can you know you're looking at anywhere from six seconds if you're lucky to if the whatever it is the compile server is running slow you know thirty or forty seconds yeah um, and so I'm I'm just you know I'm I'm thinking about this and I always always come back to this and I had a good idea on this last project and I I kind of wanted to resurrect this but some way that you could one of the big challenges here is Visual Force right so. I'm thinking, how how can I work locally, mm-hmm. right? I, 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 when I'm working on just styling and and layout of a of some kind of screen or something, how can I avoid Salesforce for for the time being and work locally? Do it, you know, do my CSS locally and, and get so I can get those just instant instant reload, uh, instant view of my, of the changes I've made. Because and, you know, if, think about it. I mean, if you're if you're working on a front end project, you, you could you're going to make hundreds, if not thousands of little changes and things in a in a day. Yeah. If you got to wait 30 seconds for each one of those, you know, you do the math. I mean, yeah. it's not productive at all. Um, so I, I've been trying to think of a way, how could you... This is what I came up with. So your visual force, you'd, your markup, you'd have to have... You're never going to get a... That's always going to be... You're going to have to deploy that to Salesforce and then render it in your browser to get your HTML markup, right? Right. But once you're there, how could I then... And for all my CSS and JavaScript and things, let's say I want to, you know, I'm going to be working on the CSS and JavaScript. I want that. I'd like that. The result of that rendered Apex page to have like local, like local file references to my local file system, so that I can make changes and and just refresh my refresh the browser and it's pulling those locally, like in, instead of from instead of from the static resource bundle, like when right. I'm in like a development mode or something, right.
1: The problem is that your lag time isn't in rendering the page. Your lag time is in uploading your
0: changes. But I'm not up, I'm not going to upload any so the static resource, right, that it production will have all my CSS and JavaScript during development, or at least just for short periods of time, I'm gonna, I'm not, I wanna somehow flip a switch and have my visual force, instead of it referencing the static resource for all these things, have it reference my local file system. Mm. But the weird thing is in order to do that, it'd have to be a page. Rendered from your local file system just because of the browser security. Yeah, I don't know. I want I want people. If anyone has any ideas on this, I mean, this is like I'd actually would seriously want feedback on that. Does any has anyone cr- tried to crack this? Yeah, I I mean I can tell you what I've done.
1: Okay. Um, I've done t- I the, my approach is actually kind of multi level. When I'm first starting out, I'm trying to figure out what a page needs to look like. It's pure on my local desktop HTML CSS. Okay. And I run that locally until I get something I, I like. Yep. And I get a general idea of how it's going to look and feel. So then I take that and I translate it into Visual Force. And so now I have the basic concept of my application and it's in Salesforce. And yep. now I'm just developing in Salesforce. I'm no longer using my local copy unless I want to try a new idea out, putting a new component or just some crazy new style I want to try out. I'll do that locally. And then once I'm happy with it, I'll incorporate it into my Visual Force. Once I'm in Salesforce and I just want to make UI tweaks, mm-hmm. colors, borders, positioning, and things like that, I make heavy use of Chrome. Just right in the browser, right? I do it right in the browser. I, I add CSS, and if I like it, I'll copy it from there and paste it into my either my CSS or my SaaS or wherever. Yep. And so that's where I do most of my tweaking. I load the page and I tweak it in
0: line real time right there. And that's, that's, a, that's a good option to have that option. It's good to have that. Um, but there's still some downsides to that. So any changes you make to the let's say you are making changes in the browser. Mm-hmm. You know, you change a color, you're you're change some padding on these things. Well now you've got to figure out you gotta okay, you gotta remember, okay, oh, what all did I just change? Because yes. I've got I've gotta somehow work that back to my CSS. Very true. And here's the worst thing. If you're working on like SAS or less, you've actually you were working on you were editing raw CSS in the browser, rendered, you know. You see what I'm saying? Because your your SAS gets compiled to CSS. That's what the browser is gonna have at it. it Mm -hmm. in the browser so if you're tweaking css to get the look to the styling changes you want you're tweaking css now you've got to figure out okay now where do i need to go in my sass to make those changes was that well i'm making so what i do is i go to the component that i'm
1: styling and i i go to that usually that component already has a css uh, class defined for it yeah so i'll i'll put my changes or my tweaks in that same class so then it's just a copy and paste from there back into my sass or or I'll recognize what I did and yeah. I'll go back and put it in. I'm just saying, and you're right, it's tedious. Like SAS a lot of to CSS is
0: not one to one because SAS, you know, you can like have in SAS, you know, you can do like nesting and stuff and you can have variables and mix ins and things like that. And you've got to figure out like this change you just made, was, okay, do you need to, was that, was that actually from a mix in that you got, now yeah, you need to go copy that, you know, say you change a color or something, you need to go copy that into a mix in or is that... Yeah. Is that, it could that, be a lot of places, right? Yeah, and, there,
1: there's, that's just more of a process though. There's nothing, Even if I had that all locally, I still have to make the decisions. I still have to figure out, is this the right place to do this?
0: Because I'm tweaking tweaking things at a whole.
1: Is this color change I made to this divider line, Mm -hmm. should that be part of the main theme and all divider lines should look like that? Or is that just for this one component? So a lot of times I'm just trying things out and I'm trying to see how it looks, how it flows, if it gives me the right degree of separation. Yeah. And then from there, I have to decide, okay, is this a
0: global style that I need to implement, or is this just specific to this component? Yeah. Well, I'm saying you've, let's say you've already made those decisions, right? But when you're in CSS, because, because Sass has things like mixins, mm-hmm. you have to figure out, okay, this color that I just changed, it, it looks like it's on a class, a CSS class. But that class in Sass may have been, mix have mixins and things applied to it. And so you still have to figure out. Yeah.
1: And where I, are you gonna
0: make that change I, I could
1: see how that could be an issue if you're on a team and everyone's has their own kind of classes and things that they know about and are aware of but since traditionally I control that full cycle I recognize the names that are outputted from C, right. from SAS so it's really easy for me to know where to go to, to change that I mean
0: the, the big problem is 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 the speed of you know, the original problem I'm talking about right
1: yeah absolutely I mean if I if I think about it in you know developing traditional websites where i have full control i can i can basically create a local environment full stack server database html all of that kind of stuff running locally yeah it's it's much yeah. faster i can iterate through that much quicker right. now now my my flow my creativity is halted by Save, build, wait yep. for
0: Salesforce to respond. And that's plenty of time to just flip over to Twitter and get and just you know, oh, lose yeah. your I mean it's, it that takes happens. you out of flow completely. That happens. It's you know, any <laughs> if you know anything about, you know, flow and just and staying focused, it it's just it's constantly ripping you out of your flow. Yeah. Waiting. And and it's weird because, you know, I can't think of any other web technology, programming languages or, or any, even cloud platforms that don't I mean just, that don't let you have run run the system locally. Whether it's Rails or Java or
1: all yeah, you're, the you're all the stuff,
0: you can run all that stuff locally. So that you know, I could have a, like a, um, I could be running a, a Rails server on my machine, and I'm constantly um, even, even. I'm talking about like your you know takes your ERB templates and compiles them. I mean the whole the whole the whole platform is giving you basically a, an immediate constant reload of of your whatever screen you're working on. Right, and that's one thing I asked for like a few years ago. I was like, I, I made this list of things that. That I wish Salesforce would fix. And one of them was like, let us run somehow run this platform locally so that we can I don't know if
1: that's even possible. I don't I know mean, if it is either. But Yeah, I mean, I see what you're getting at. I mean, basically being able to run and have a local development environment. Yes, right. You know. Yeah. I don't I don't even know if that's even plausible.
0: Cloud, baby.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is software as a service. You're basically saying, hey, give
0: me your cloud and let me let me stick it in my house. Yeah. But like I'm saying, name name another technology you build web applications or websites in that you can't do that on.
1: Yeah, but the other technologies are platform as a service. So we're leveraging, we're putting them in the cloud, but there it's not software as a service. You know, th- yeah. there's a huge difference there. Just
0: a massive downside. I mean it's just yeah. I wish they would fix this because yeah. it, it really does make it is it developing is a- apps in Salesforce. And I don't care, you know, you hear all the stuff about, oh, you know, you develop a mobile app in an hour or whatever. That's this is all BS. That's that's for little bitty simple apps where you that's, know, that's your point click not, apps. That's that you not can realistic at all. It's just uh, not uh, yeah. If you get into custom right. code,
1: you're not gonna build your app in an hour. I'm sorry.
0: You know when it gets to, you know, real sizable apps, I mean, yeah. there's just like a distinct disadvantage to doing it this way. And I so, wish they so would maybe have we're some talking solution about solution to this.
1: Maybe we're talking about the wrong problem. Maybe if Salesforce's cycle of save, you know, the ability to kind of save a file to the cloud was mm-hmm. almost instantaneous. The time it takes to ping the server, does that solve your problem? It solves a huge piece of it. Yeah, I mean, does that does that take away the need to have a local running version of Salesforce?
0: Yeah, I mean, if it was if it was always like say two or three seconds. Yeah, I mean, because that to me
1: is a, is a more plausible solution than it is to say, hey, let me run Salesforce locally. And yeah, we, we, I think we get into that a lot of times. We it's, I get it with customers too, where they're asking me for the wrong thing. You kind of have to dig in deep and say you're asking me to solve this problem, but I think the real problem you're having is this. Right. And this feels like one of those moments where we're saying, oh, let us run Salesforce locally, but our real problem is we can't iterate fast enough. We can't develop fast enough. Our tools are not fast enough. You know, they're not matching the
0: speed at which we think. I'm going to have to rack my brain to figure out what my solution I came up with was. It was, maybe it was like proxying Salesforce locally so that you could render the visual force, but have it see, appear that it's coming from your local system, which then you could point... All, like all your CSS and JavaScript references, everything to your local system, mm-hmm. and do that just immediate, rapid. You know, you change a SAS file, and it's immediately compiled to CSS, and you, then you just refresh the browser. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. If I, I'm I'm sure someone's got ideas on this. Um, one of the one of the um kind of the base of this, the foundation of this kind of build script that I've been using for about a year now is from a guy named Kevin O'Hara. I think he might be, even be an MVP. I'm not sure. Really smart. It seems like a smart guy. Um, he's a in the Salesforce space, mm-hmm. but he's the one that created um, a Grunt Salesforce plugin. So that's what lets you. There's a Grunt task to for basically deploying to Salesforce. All you have to do is, you know, basically like create a Grunt task to you know compile all your CSS and JavaScript and everything, and then uh, make a zip file out of it for mm-hmm. your. It's the static resource file, and then it deploys it to Salesforce. So that you know that, that accomplishes a lot of it. I mean, at least you can use modern <laughs> technologies with something like that. Right. right. But it's just got yeah, the waiting. It's, uh, we, we've got to, we've got to work on that. And I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't know if there's something we can do that doesn't require Salesforce to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to think about it. But if anyone has any ideas, let us know.
1: Um, so, what JavaScript, else? I mean, Oh yeah, so this is kind of, this is, this kind right? of piggybacks off this project because we talked about this a little bit and, your question to me was, you know, I have, I have all, the, I know, I'm going to be writing a lot of JavaScript, right? I can't. Your, your concern is sticking it all in one file is going to be hard to manage, maintain, debug, you know, all of the above. And so, your the solution, the common solution is okay. Let's let's modularize this. Let's break this up into smaller chunks that can be
0: used. Right. But then you have a whole new set of concerns. Yeah. So, so one thing that you know I've done in the past is is not really modularization, but you know, a a compilation step. So taking your JavaScript or taking like a save you got CoffeeScript, compiling that down to JavaScript, taking all your resulting JavaScript, you know, running tests, linting, whatever your, whatever your process that you're running your JavaScript through is. And then at the end, like uglifying it, Mm -hmm. you know, compressing it or whatever. What's the, um, uh, you know, Google's got their, um, what's their JavaScript kind of compressor thingy? It's it's not Um, Minify, is it? No, it's um, Clojure, the Clojure compiler Mm -hmm. is what they call it. Um, you know, whatever your, whatever your process is for your job that you're using for your JavaScript and then uh, concatenating them all into right. one big JavaScript file. And so essentially you in your, in your static resource for your entire app, you've got for the, or, you know, or module or whatever you're building, you've got one JavaScript file, which is great because that's one HTTP request to, to load your app. Right. I mean, that, or at least just for JavaScript, you know, because if you don't do that concatenation, then, you know, you're going to have a, Re- an HTTP request for jQuery jQuery and you know your eight different jQuery UI plugins and then your seven different jQuery plugins and your bootstrap stuff and whatever all the you know right. and you know it's those HTTP requests that can really slow down because you know you can only have three or four of them in a flight at once depending on your browser. I think it's actually up to ten now for Chrome but but they at some point those things get serial um, what's the word when they're they, you have to wait for they get kind of synchronous right and so you know at least concatenation. You can get those all into one file. The downside of concatenation, or there's several, but I mean the ones I'm that are kind of top of mind for me right now are, you kind of lose the ability. Like, okay, so you you've concatenated, mm-hmm. and now you're you know you're running your app. You know this is a Salesforce app, right? So you're in Salesforce, and you, your ability to debug is basically gone, right? Because you're minified and it's all just in one you lose which file it is. It's it's an absolute mess. There's like nothing you can, you can't debug at all. Right. And the other thing is source order. So anytime I've done this before, if you, if you're not using modules, you have to be really careful on source order because these things are, some things are dependent on other things. Right. Right. And they expect globals to be there. So if you're going to, let's say you're going to load bootstrap. Well, bootstrap depends on jQuery already being there. So you have to make sure that jQuery loads before bootstrap does. Because it, because jQuery creates one global, right? The jQuery right. global, and Bootstrap is is expecting that. And so then I'm th- I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe on this project I'll I'll look into using JavaScript modules. And so I don't know. just like the advantages. and, we, and also I always think to myself every t- I feel like every time I try to, you know, use a relatively modern technology uh, applying to Salesforce, it always comes back to haunt me. You know, there's all you know it hits some kind of limit or I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but in this case, I don't, I don't really see hoping that I'm not going to hit that. I'm just, I'm really wondering like what the most appropriate, cause there's some options. So we were talking about this earlier. So, you know, you've got browserify or browserify depending on <laughs> <laughs> potato, potato, Yeah, depending on whether you're East of the Rockies or West of the Rockies, I guess. Um, there's, um, require JS, so I don't know, uh, you know, one of the, one of the advantages of, of, you know, the, the modules is, is you do, you fix that source order or, or problem, right? Mm-hmm. You, you let the module system load things in the right order that you right. declare dependencies and then, you know, builds a dependency graph and it, it knows what order to load things in. In the case of RequireJS JS though, that means that you're still, every time it discovers a dependency and has to go grab it, that's an asynchronous call. Well, it turns out that RequireJS though also has kind of a compilation stuff. I think they call it the optimizer, where you can kind of pre-build, um, I guess a, a, a JavaScript file that's all of the that's all of the dependencies that this particular either you know whether it's a page, web page, or you know or a screen, right? Or it could be an entire module or an entire application. You could just pre-build everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So that kind of gets around that because that's what I was concerned about. that's one thing that browserify is cool about is it it actually it is that's all it is. It's kind of a it precompiles pre compiles all of your all of your JavaScript models. And the nice thing about Browserify also is it uses Common JS, which I'd prefer the syntax of Common JS over AMD, which is what Require.js uses. But all Right.
1: Well I I guess another problem could be that if you pre-build it and you pre build it for I guess every page, so to speak, if you're, if you're trying to, if you have, you know, a certain set of required fl- files for your homepage and then your, your whatever, your contact listing page, will just say for argument speak. Yeah. Now, there's no way for the browser to say, oh, you've already got XYZ, so I'm only going to download XY3. Right, right. Now it's always going to download all of those. Yeah. Or, you know, on the first load. Well, so let's say
0: that both of those pages required jQuery, right? Right. So you gotta, you've got to build for your homepage right. it includes jQuery and you got to build for your contact page that requires right. jQuery. But I mean, if you, if you're, if all you're, you know, in that you're kind of describing a scenario where you've got almost like a, a website. And if you've just got, mm-hmm. if you've got a website, um, you may not even need JavaScript modules. However, if you're, if you're building, you know, like an application, like it may be like a single page application style right. where you you know, you're using a front end framework, like aura <laughs> 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 or angular or something like that. Right. Um, and, and you got a lot going on and you're, you're kind of staying on the same page yeah. so that's not as much of a problem but you could so let's take that example though you could say hey I want to hold I want to exclude jQuery from being built into those and you you could still keep jQuery as a separate script line item true uh,
1: but I, I guess I'm, I see it as more of a dependency and that's kind of a global dependency across your whole site or your whole application so that's easy to pull out on its own um, but right. any place where you have kind of some minor dependencies if you isolate each one of those page and do a build you're downloading that content every time. Yes, um, but just once, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it, everything we're talking about is is that first load performance because right. once it gets cached from the system, you're fine, right. or until they
0: until your user clears their browser or whatever. Yep. So, so yeah, I think I'm I'm going to look into using modules. I'll I'll uh, I'll report back on how that works out for me, but. And modules is one of those things, though, that um, you use it when it, I guess when it, either if, if you know for sure it's going to be a problem or when it becomes a problem. Yeah. You know, if, you've, if you're, like you said, like I was saying, if you've just got a website with a bunch of pages, you know, you probably don't need a module system. I mean, you, you certainly could, but it's just, I'm not sure if it's going to gain you that much. Yeah. And yet you've just added a tool that you have to make up as, as a part of your chain that you have to maintain, so.
1: Yeah. I will say I've built some applications and I started out with the idea that I was going to modularize everything, but I, th- I think I spent more time trying to figure out how to manage the modules, more time trying to figure out how to efficiently get them to concatenate, I guess is the word we're going, with, mm. um, than I did actually building. I spent more time in theory and trying to figure out the process that at some point I was like, I got to get to work. And so I just, I, I ended up going, well, my app's not that big. I can manage
0: it in one file. That's
1: what I'm going to do. And that's what I ended yeah. up doing.
0: It tell. I think it just depends on the app you're building, the size yeah. of it, you know, and the number of people you've got working on it. But yeah, if, if you're, if you're, you know, at the point at which you have, you know, hundreds or thousands of different JavaScript files, it's <laughs> a lot of script tags, right? Yeah. <laughs> but so. also, also,
1: I, I tend to think that, you know, you're, how do I say this? I don't want. Do not know how to form these words. <laughs> it's in the ideas in my brain, and it will not come out of my mouth. But um I think we overuse JavaScript at times. I, I think I think we tend to try to do too much client side.
0: Uh, you're living in the wrong world, man. No, no, no. I told no. you this earlier.
1: I think we need a balance. We need a balance. We don't need everything to run client side on the machine. You know, let let's, let's let the server do what it's supposed to do, and you know. Let JavaScript do what it's well, good at.
0: And this, this is so we've, we've seen that. We've seen the pendulum start to swing back a little bit. So you're seeing these frameworks now starting to support that initial, the initial load is server-generated markup, right? Right. And then, one, but once that initial load happens, the, the, fr- the, the JavaScript you know, framework for the UI kicks in and, and it's doing any rendering after that. So, uh, and that, that has to do with that. That's extreme performance uh, optimization, though. What running everything client side is is no 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 having having like the server do the initial rendering mm-hmm. and then having your JavaScript take over after that once it's in the client I mean because that's that's again another level of machinery well, right here- now you've got to have you've got to have your server running the same technology which what's I mean like Node things make this more possible right mm-hmm. so and I'm trying to think of I don't want to speak out of hand but I I believe that like Angular and some of these frameworks are starting to add support for this they've got a server side component that will do the initial rend- rendering of your page using the same templates in javascript and everything right it'll run on the server generate that so that that so that the time from you know request until rendered in the browser is is as quick as possible yeah
1: I, I, I guess i guess the the point i'm trying to make is a lot of times especially when we're integrating applications and we talk about these single applications is we're initiating a javascript call an ajax call that goes off and gets some data and then that data comes back and that's all it is Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a, you know, pre-pa- pre-compacted, pre rendering of, of HTML components and things along with JavaScript and data. You know, it's pure
0: data and now the browser's forced to render it all. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the mode nowadays. That's the, that's the fashionable way to do things, right? I, just to render it on the, have templates on the client and, and the client's doing all the rendering. Yeah. And I, I think I'd rather see a little more hybrid. Yeah. It's just more moving parts. It's more complex when you do it that way. Oh maybe. But again, like I said, that these these tools are starting to support that. So at least it's at least you're not building that from scratch. Because that's right. what, if you wanted to do that before, that's what you were doing. We're man, we're over an hour and a half. This is going to be a long one. I have to cut some stuff, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all um, right. Idea
0: of the week. All right. Uh, Let's do yours. I'll I'll hold mine again for next week since we're running long. All right.
1: Well, mine actually came from one of our listeners, Christy okay. Guzman. So. Uh, this is on collaborating forecasting. We talked about forecasting and and all that kind of stuff. And and her idea, which is posted, and it's actually a really good idea. Um, I'm sure it's something that's probably going to be implemented. Uh, but it's uh, collaborative forecasting via territory hierarchy. So if you have collaborative forecasting enabled, it does not work with with uh, territory management. It only works with the role hierarchy. Yeah, a conflict feature conflict there. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the custom custom. I think it's called custom. Forecasting that does work with territory, but it's a trade-off as with anything. With a uh, customized forecasting, it has its own set of features, and the shoot, I lost my word. Collaborative forecasting yeah. enables things like your splits and and your
0: all those kind of things. Those new features with opportunities that you have seems like it's like a false dilemma. You shouldn't have to make that trade-off, right? Yeah, especially since that's like such a core CRM function, isn't it?
1: Well, I think Salesforce is kind of struggling with, and and they've gotten better, which is why we have things like Territory Management 2.0, so to speak. Um, and I remember being early on discussing with Salesforce, you know, how we used it at a big enterprise company that I worked at before because we were using territories and we had struggles with it and managing it. And so they knew that, they came to us and showed us some of the things they were working on and that, that, that all became Territory 2.0, but... Mm-hmm. I think it's something they're struggling with to manage because territories and the way we manage people, resources, and that whole hierarchy, it's never one size fits all. It's it's so custom. Everyone does it so differently. So it's really hard. Uh, There's whole companies and whole software packages that do nothing but territory management. So it's really difficult when we talk about, oh, Salesforce handles territory management. And then you get into it and you go, man,
0: I'm sorry, guys, the way you do territories is not going to fit in here. And this is, I think, part of this thing where Salesforce is a really big system nowadays. And there was probably a team that built territory management, and there was probably a team that built forecasting, and they just didn't collaborate well enough, you know. And a lot of the here's the and, and the other thing is like ter- territories were forecasting was out of the box. Territories were not a, was not an original feature, mm. and so you have you have to figure out how to bolt a feature on later. And a lot of times, if you had the hindsight of knowing that other feature was coming, you would have designed the original feature in a way that would have been compatible with that. But you can't go and roll that back and you can't undo history and everyone's data to try to to change these models so these things work better together. You just have to, in some cases, you get this. Like, if you want to use this new thing, then you can't use that other thing you were using because when we built that other thing that you're using now, we didn't know that we were going to do this in this way. Right.
1: And I don't know if that's, I think that to me is more of a growing pain than a, we didn't collaborate enough on this. Because I think the original inception is we have this very basic opportunity screen, Mm -hmm. very basic, does certain things and you have a very basic forecasting model to match that and then you have this role hierarchy and then you expand that with territories and that gets to be this huge beast. Yeah. And so now, like you said, you're trying to retrofit all this stuff into this very simple model that needs to be upgraded to something more complex. And do you, is it worth making that investment to make that more complex to match? Do you stop Advancements in territory management because you can't
0: sync that with your forecasting. And a lot of times, when they when they change the way a feature works or roll out a new feature, they can do like as a part of the you know rolling out the release, they can do a because they do these all the time, right? This part of releases, a there's a data migration part of this, which mm-hmm. they're cha- literally changing the these data structures, and they're you know running massive SQL statements that that change your all your data. Right in your org from the old model to the new model. If they can do that transparently, that's fine. They can get that done. They do these things all the time. What where it becomes difficult is when they can't do it transparently. There's mm-hmm. it's enough of a change that the new data model would require, you know, decisions to be made or or whatever. And also, you know, think about it. They've got how many versions of, of the of various APIs out there that they that still have to work. Yeah. That's a huge challenge. It takes happens. just a ton of engineering.
1: And it does happen. It does force it does force some kind of hard lines. Yeah. But it's, I mean, Salesforce is growing and they are big enough that I think we're going to start to see more of those kind of hard lines. I, I think it's almost inevitable that you're going to have to see at some point a hard line that says, hey, if you want to use all these new great features we've developed to advance the system, that you're going to have to migrate over to the system. Yeah, that it's not going to be as right. transparent as oh we got a new theme you know it's going to be no we have all these new capability but you're going to have to sign on and say yes right we're doing this and we're going to migrate
0: your data right to this new model yeah. and you have to agree yeah no that's that's not bad I mean sometimes that's as good as it's going to get and right. that's just the reality of software big you know big software yeah I mean that's how we have
1: things like product two and price
0: book two yeah those are those are unfortunate <laughs> right
1: yeah I mean it started out with a very simple concept and idea and then you you had to you had to move it forward. Well, they real,
0: that, those are great examples of they didn't get the data model right. They're like, ah, oh, crap. We re- now realize that we don't want a product yeah. hard-coded to an opportunity. We need this price book entry th- in in the middle here. And, yeah, you know, we, uh, we actually, we are introducing this concept of price books, right? And so we, now we need to disintermediate products from being directly on opportunities. And right. that's just hard. It is. So then you have, yeah, like you said, you have things like you know, product too. Or what is it? Price, you know whatever they are, but price book. anytime you have a number after an object name, that's it's wearing its history on its sleeve. It is. That's just, yeah. that's, that's what you call punting in the software world. <laughs> well,
1: that's the idea yeah. of the week. It'll be in the show notes. So if you're, if you're interested or struggling with this, go ahead and vote the idea up and
0: give it some attention. Do we have an, Oh, Hey, we have an ending to this, don't we? We do. Oh, What was it? Hang on. I can't. You can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> Uh, Don't we have, isn't there an idea? Oh, I know. Hang on. I have no idea. Yes. That's what we're supposed to ask Mark. You know, we'll we'll, we'll get better at this. Mark, when (laughs) are we going to be able to do, you know, territories and this new forecasting at the same time? I have no idea. You can just edit that to make Uh, it seem
1: like we, we planned that. uh, Exactly. exactly. Because we, uh, we edit. (laughs) All right, man. Um, Yeah. My, my topics can be, my next topic can be held over for next week. I think we've, uh, we yeah, hit our time slot. We are way over. Sorry, guys. <laughs> to the magic of editing. You know,
0: some people will love that we went over, and some people will hate it. <laughs> you, you just can't make everybody happy. And to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir! They should try writing some software. That would be amazing. <laughs>